right, it's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. So we in our congregation are celebrating Shavuot tomorrow. And it's all part of the interpretation of the calendar. Um, and so we're following a certain biblical way we feel to determine the dates and events of the biblical holidays. Some are celebrating tomorrow, some have already celebrated, but that's sort of the, the blessing of just kind of being your own congregation, trying to do the best you know how unto Yeshua, biblically. And so <clears throat> normally I like Luke to speak on the holiday topics because he just he knows more, he has a better way of communicating it. And I was thinking, and I told Judy on the way up, you know, if you, if you need a message on Christmas or Easter, I'm your guy. <laughs> you know, because that's what I spent so many years in. And now coming into the Messianic movement, it's like, you know, I'm stumbling all over the place trying to figure all this stuff out. And so Luke has, I believe, a better grasp on it, uh, on the holidays, and just has a, a better way of explaining things. I, I don't have that gift. You know, if, if you need a hug or a kick in the rear end, I'm your guy. If you need good, solid instruction without necessarily being beat up all the time in the message, Luke's the guy. And, and with that, if anybody happens to listen to this message, everybody who happens to hear me right now needs to go and uh, to our website and listen to Luke's message last, last week's message on Romans 9. It is just tremendous, you know, and again, not because he's my son, it is just tremendous. I mean, Romans 9 is one of the hardest chapters in all of the Bible to try to preach on because it deals with so many complicated, seemingly intense issues. Election, you know, justification, adoption, um, uh, who, who is Israel, what is Israel? I mean, it's just like, I told Luke, because I've listened to it twice now afterwards, I said, you know, Romans 9 is just like a minefield that you have to walk through at any moment, you're going to get blown up because there's just so many hot issues throughout that whole chapter. And somehow Luke just, you know, <laughs> sauntered through the whole thing. And, and, and it was just incredible, really. So if you get a chance to listen to that message, uh, please do Romans 9 of Luke's. And, and, and we talked a little bit about to see if that's one of the things we could have up on the front page right away for, for people to see along with our YouTube video. Because, you know, for those that, I always get off topic, and Caitlin and I talked just this week about how I can become a better preacher. You know, Dad, you stay on topic. You kind of over the place. And I said, I know, but that's just me. Um, and I just forgot what I was talking about. What was I just talking about? Putting it on the website. Oh, yeah, putting it on the website. Because we want people to realize that we're not crazies. You know, <laughs> the Christian world thinks we're in a cult, Think, thinks by and large, not everybody, but by and large, that we've abandoned Yeshua, that we, we're trying to go back under the law and all that stuff. And so our YouTube video is trying to address that. And then Luke's message, Romans chapter 9, if anybody's willing to listen, who is a Christian, is going to say, well, wow, that is spot on. I mean, you know, and what was so good about Luke's handling of it last week is and this is my take on it, he didn't go off to Bible college and get ruined, <laughs> like most of us do. You know, because you come to a chapter like Romans chapter 9, though it's intense and complicated, he doesn't have the theological jargon and the theological 
input that you get at Bible school. So, you know, the, you, you learn every different possible way to possibly look at it. And by the time, you know, you went in knowing what you believed on certain things, you come out, it's like, I don't know what I believe anymore. You know, and then for the rest of your life, you, you, it's always in the back of your mind that you see things and understand things, how you've been pre-programmed. You know, Lester Ross said it, I think, the best. He said he went to 12 years of school, but actually he went to college as well. Why he said 12, I don't know. He said, I went to school 12 years, and it took me 12 years to get school out of me. <laughs> you know, and that's about what it is. So Luke doesn't have that in him. And I really, it's exciting because Luke is, to me, a living demonstration of what I've always have believed. That you don't have to necessarily, not anything wrong with this, no Greek, no Hebrew, go off to Bible college and study for the ministry. <laughs> Is it helpful? I, yes, no, I don't know. But I've always maintained that a man of God that is called, that has a spirit of God in him, to preach the word of God, can preach the word of God, and the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit, and he can open up our understanding, and we don't have to run to see what always everybody else thinks or says, right? I mean, it has to be. That's why Tyndale translated the Bible. I think it was Tyndale because he wanted the Bible into the hands of the plowman in the field. Not, you know, held by the clergy in a foreign language that nobody could understand. I'm getting wound up already. No, I'm not preaching. So, anyway, so you're going to get me today for the Shavuot message. And I almost, had, I almost called up Luke, look, when it dawned on me this week, that's how bad I am. Judy says to me, Warren, is Shavuot this week? I don't know. She said, you're supposed to know, you're my pastor. I said, I don't know, that's what you have Luke for. You know, I, I, I said, I can tell you what Christmas and Easter are, no problem. The rest of it, I'm struggling. <laughs> so I, I was tempted. Oh, call Luke, like I did the last holiday. Luke, what are you laughing but then I thought, no, this is Pentecost, Shavuot, right? Pentecost. Well, my mind went to Acts 2. All right, yes, that's probably something I can work with. All right, so what I want us to do is go to Acts 2. Did I say that yet? Now, Acts 2 is one of those minefield chapters. Anywhere you step, you can get theologically blown up. When I got saved, this whole thing of tongues, for whatever reason, was really a hotbed issue. You go off to college. I, I remember taking the book of Acts with Dr. Dollar, and we get to Acts chapter 2. Well, what's everybody focused When you think of Acts chapter 2, what do you think? Tongues. Tongues, right? Well, that's the first half of the chapter. We get so bogged down in the minefield of the first part of the chapter, we missed the whole point of chapter 2, which is the second half of the chapter. And that's what I want us to focus in on today. So this isn't going to be your messianic, this is what Shavuot is. We're not going to go into the Old Testament and try to explain it and blah, blah, blah. I, I wanted to take an incident that we're pretty much familiar with and I'm pretty much familiar with, but try to look at it now from the messianic perspective which I think is the biblical perspective. In other words, to take off the eyes of, of our Christian perspective, which for some who are older, like myself, is very hard to do. But I, I'm beginning now to see some of the hues and the different shades and colorings now in the scripture that speak to where we are in this Messianic movement. So I, I'm going to read through Acts chapter 2, 
and try to stay on topic, Caitlin, and not bring in a whole lot of other things that I veer off on. But, you know, as I found out, look, it's just who and what I am. I don't expect it to change at this point, although I'm going to work on it. All right, so I've already spent probably five, ten minutes blabbing away, which is what she'd say, Dad, you don't need to do that. Caitlin, I hope you're listening. Should we have me? All right, Acts chapter 2. We're going to read through the chapter, then we're going to highlight what I want to and be done. All right. And when the day of Shavuot, or Pentecost, was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we're born? Uh, Parthians and Medes, I'll say this now because I won't get to it later. Medes are now the Kurds, all right? If you, you know the word Kurds, the Medes now are the Kurds. And the Elamites, Elamites is now in Iran, which I just think is so interesting because this is where we are now, right? The Kurds and what's going on in Iran and Iraq and all that. Uh, verse 9, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these are full of new wine. All right, so that's the first half of the chapter. And I don't want to get into it. I'll say just a couple things now in passing. Those who are dispensationalists, if I'm remembering this and uh, speaking correctly on it, see here Acts chapter 2, the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit comes for the first time, and this whole brand new thing is starting, right? Isn't that basically how I taught it? We were taught it. You know, the church comes. Acts chapter 2, the church comes. The Holy Spirit comes for the first time to and fill everybody. And, and now the old economy is being done away with. And now we're ushering into uh, the, the new economy of the church. And as I was taught the book of Acts in college, Acts is a transitional book to get us from... Uh, John to Romans, and so that's why things are in flux, and this is the way they have to excuse the fact that some are still going to the temple, Paul's still trying to get back for the festivals, and why they're still going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Well, it's a transitional book, <laughs> we're, we're, and that's how we were taught it. You know, in, the, in Acts, that's cool. It's a transitional book, so they're still trying to work out things and, and try to understand, and God's teaching them. And by the time you get to Paul, God raised up Paul to set everything straight, and that now we are the church, 
and the law is done away with. Yeshua, Jesus filled it all, fulfilled, uh, ended it all, and now this new thing is starting, and it happened in Acts chapter 2 with the birth of the church. Amen. Right? <laughs> we were taught it. So that's not quite how it is. And if you listen to Luke, you know, congregation, this assembly, this whole thing, church, that word assembly, it's throughout the Old Testament. Now, this thing of the Holy Spirit comes for the first time and, 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 uh, and, and the people receive the Holy Spirit. I've always struggled with that, and I just want to be really quick on this, and I just, without getting into all of this. Um, all right, so um, we want to turn to it. But John chapter 20, verse 22, Yeshua's talking to the disciples. And he's, he breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now that's before Acts chapter 2. Now, in my simplicity, even back in the Bible college days and before, it already said that, I don't know what this means, my thinking was at the time, but he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of explanations. It was like a, a partial filling. It was to get them ready so they'd know what it was. If he says, if he breathed on them, I mean, he's the spirit of the living God walking on the, on the earth and breathes and says, receive the Holy Spirit, I think they have it. And I did have a New Testament teacher at school that did say that they had the Holy Spirit. So thankfully, there was somebody there that said that. So I, I believe that these people already had the Holy Spirit. An example, when Yeshua came and goes to John the baptizer, John the immerser, and he gets immersed and comes up out of the water. What happens? Somebody speak out. What happens? The dove, the, dove, the Holy Spirit, Spirit, comes and rests upon him. And he goes then in the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and is tempted. My question always was, are you telling me that Yeshua didn't have the Spirit until then? <laughs> to me, that's ludicrous. And that, in my perusal of this whole thing, that's never talked about. I've not... Maybe I have, I can't remember. Anybody bringing up the fact that, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> if he is God in the flesh, then he already has the Holy Spirit. So what is going on? This is my simple explanation. He is now God in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is residing in him. It's ludicrous to think that he reaches, goes all the way to 30 and the Holy Spirit wasn't in him. To me, that's just absolutely asinine. So, but now... He is going to be empowered to do the ministry for which he came to this earth, but now he has to do it in the body of a human being. So, if, if I hope my analogy is right, Luke, step in at any time and correct any of this. Did he have the Holy Spirit? Yes. Could he have done miraculous things beforehand? I don't know. I don't think we have a record of it, maybe in some of the apocryphal books, but I don't go with that. So now, the reason he came is, here I am, being immersed by John the Immerser. And he's going to need something that, humanly speaking, he's not had before. And that's this infusion of the Spirit's power so that he can then go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, filled with the Holy Spirit, and come out victorious after 40 days and 40 nights. Am I making sense? Yeah. All right. All right. So, to say that these people did not have the Spirit until now, I think is crazy. 
what is happening and what they're getting prepared for is this. Now, the message, now the ministry of God's people is going to go outside the boundaries of the land. Pretty much, except for the captivity, God's dealings with his people have been in the land. The message didn't go outside the land, although it did, but primarily it was in the land and people came, right? But it's going to be different now because it has to be different. And in the mind and will of God, when the fullness of time came, Yeshua came uh, and born in the flesh. Why? I, I can't explain this. Luke could do a better job, but it was that crucible, that crux in time, that, that this moment in time where things are going to change. The temple is going to be destroyed. The people are going to be kicked out of the land. And so now, the people of God, they don't, they're not in the confines of a good Christian college that has a gate all around it. And everybody's living victorious. You know, and, and all the, the professors, they, they just can, they got it down and they can preach. And, you know, they're just, you know, you think they're the paragon of, you know, they're walking with God. No, get outside the gate. Come up to New England. It ain't so easy. <laughs> yeah, I was victorious on the campus of my college because you were surrounded by it. Get outside, you get beat up. I can remember we did go back after many, many years, and we went for the tour. We had the kids. I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah, remember. Yeah. And 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 the professor, I didn't actually have him, but he was one of the English teachers. He said, "So you guys graduate?" Yeah. I said, "Yeah." Have you been back before? And we told him when we graduated. No, this first. This is your first time. He was shocked. Do you remember that? He was just shocked that we hadn't been back to Mecca in all those times. <laughs> I wanted to say, you know, I've been out in the real world getting beat up and beat down. And, well, that's what's happening here. By way of analogy, I'm not getting anywhere. Uh, yes, you can live victorious on the campus grounds of your Christian college with just a little bit of the Spirit of God working in you. Can you just follow my, my analogy? You, you, because you're not being assaulted. You're not being attacked quite like you are if you're every day going to work and every day in a world that's lost and has nothing to do with anything that you believe in. You know, you don't need this much, you know, three feet worth of the Holy Spirit. When you're on the campus, all you need is like a thimbleful because the whole environment is conducive. Now they're going to be kicked out of the land. And the reason we have Acts chapter 2 is to show us in the real world, outside of where we wish we could be, in the land, ruled by Yeshua, everything like it should be, you're going to be out there. And out there, you need to be. That's why it says, stay in Jerusalem until you receive power. Right? They need power. Something they didn't quite need. Am I making sense? Yeah. Help me here. Yeah. <laughs> so... You know, but all of that gets missed and the rest of that because we're hung up on tongues. And the church starts. And, and Satan is so smart, we're, we're already diverted and sidetracked from what is important. You idiots out there, 
into dispersion who are there because your forefathers were idiots and now you're out there and you're suffering. The only way you're going to make it is get back to this. <laughs> be endued. Be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? So I can speak in tongues, glory to God? No! <laughs> so we can do battle in the enemy's territory. We miss all that, and it made me mad all these years. All right, Mr. Rogers, come back. Come back, Mr. Rogers. Bury Yosemite Sam for a couple minutes, please. So, I think that's all. Oh, so, all right, so the thing of tongues. I'll just address this and move on. Um, I'm going to tell you what my simplistic understanding of what this thing of tongues is forever. I'll use an illustration because everything for me seems to have something to do with sci-fi a little bit. <laughs> so there was this TV show on for years, Babylon 5. All right, Babylon 5 is called Babylon because there's a whole bunch of alien races that live on this um, space station. Space station. I mean, you know, and so everybody has their own gods. Except if you're watching Star Trek, everybody has gods except for those stupid people on Earth. They don't have God. They don't believe in God on Earth. Everybody else has a God. Even worse, going to go to um, the Klingon whole world, Tuvacor. You know, every anyway. So, so Babylon Five. Everybody has their God. So they're in the arboretum. Is that the word arboretum? It's kind of like a communal place. And so the, the leader of the space station there, he's an American and some of these aliens. So then all of a sudden they're standing there and there's this, this vision, this thing appears up in the Arboretum and they're all looking at it. And so as Americans, you know, or English speaking people, we hear what's being said in English. So I'm thinking nothing about it. But what happens is that guy over there from that alien race and this guy from this alien race and this alien race and this alien race and this alien race, they all heard it in their own language. Now, that's what I believe happened here. That's not the popular explanation. That's not necessarily even a Loctite explanation. But that to me is one way that this could have happened. Because Peter gets up and he speaks, right, in the, in the sermon, and unless they had interpreters out there, or unless now they have the gift of tongues and they can interpret themselves, which is possible, that's the other way. Everybody now that was filled with the Holy Spirit, but see, not everybody there was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not everybody had at this moment the gift of tongues. To me, that's a flaw in this. But the other side is, you know, the people, um, anyway, you get where I'm going with this. I don't want to beat this to death. So, but that's my simplistic understanding of, of, of the gift of tongues. And I'm not going to get off into prayer language or all this other stuff, which I think to some degree from my perspective is a bunch of bull. Because it lists down all these nations. And so they're all amazed saying, uh, you know, they hear wherever it is. Yeah, now when this multitude, verse 6, abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard him speak in his own language. I don't know how to explain that. But to me, that's the gift of tongues. And I took heat for this in college. Because I said, I still think the gift of tongues is active and can be used by God, according to Acts chapter 2. And I took heat for this, as amongst the things like with the Sabbath and everything else, in my discussion. I said, listen, I believe if you're flying in a plane and you accidentally fall out and, you're going, and you fall out over Africa in the deepest parts of a jungle, 
And, and God meant for that to happen so that you could bring the gospel to these people. If he wanted, he could give you the gift of tongues, languages. You didn't know the language of those native people and all those dialects. But God could somehow still give you, and I believe that, give you the gift of tongues. He doesn't appear to have done that because people go to missionary schools, they learn languages, they go there, they translate, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't seem to be happening. Maybe that will happen again. I don't know. Okay, any questions, comments? Because i got to get off of this. I'm getting nowhere. Okay, all right. Now, so those are the, but those are the minefields, all right? And I'm hoping I'm addressing it so you can just move past that to get to the, what I think is the important part. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your among young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm not going to get into this, but this is all going back to, where is this, Malachi. So, 18, and on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. So that's another minefield. That is like, wow, way discussion. But I want to see, and it'll be my one of my points here, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Yeshua of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which is just what he, Peter was saying was going to happen in the last days. You have an example of Yeshua doing it, and, and the apostles are going to be doing it as well. I don't know necessarily if it's, you know, I'll get off on the sidetrack here. All right. Uh, verse 20, uh, signs and ones, which God did, 22, did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore... Did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, now he's going to get into it. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you. You know, here comes Yosemite sin. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his uh, loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Messiah to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Messiah, that his soul should not be left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. I mean, we're talking now, we're getting to the deity of Yeshua. This is a hot-button thing with the people that are listening to this. Now their ears are pre picking up a little bit here and now the crowd is starting to wonder what are they talking about 
I don't know where I was. Where was I? 32. 32. So, uh, therefore, uh, Yeshua hath, uh, therefore, uh, sorry, this Yeshua hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, wow, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see in here. You have to be in this audience. You, have, you cannot read this academically. You cannot read this chapter without being a fly on the wall listening in the midst of all this. So you're going to miss all this great stuff that is being said and known. That the religious leaders are just beside themselves right now. <sighs> 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, uh, Yehovah said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Yeshua whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow, thank you for telling us that. This is just great news. Now, for some it was, now, when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Man and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent and be immersed, every one of you, in the name of Yeshua, Messiah, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, this is where we're coming, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward, this wicked, evil generation, this group, this body of people you are in the midst of. Hurry up and get out of it. You know, it's like, man, he's just, he's shredding everybody here. And we lose this, right? We lose this. 41. Then they that gladly received his word were immersed, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. There's wonders and signs again. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. See, this is what our Messianic people want, unity. And it's a good thing. But if you continue on in the book of Acts, there's not unity. And actually, because they wanted unity so bad, God, in part, said, I'm sending persecution to get you guys out of here. This isn't time for kumbaya. You have a fight to fight in a battle to be engaged in, and you have to go out there and bring in the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not time for kumbaya. I want kumbaya in our congregation. But anybody else wants to kumbaya with us, I don't care. Go kumbaya somewhere else. I'm not responsible for other people's flocks. We're responsible for... This flock, <laughs> which is such as it is right now. Now, oh gosh, how long have I been speaking? Anybody know? It's 11 o'clock now. Did I press the button or just hit it? The white button? Oh, half hour. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. All right, so what do I, so let me just recap real quick. 
I don't want us, everybody sees the first half of Acts chapter 2, not the second half. It's like the book of Hebrews. Everybody wants to be in the first half of, the, of Hebrews 11, not in the second half. Everybody focuses, and I mean pretty much everybody focuses on the first part of Acts 2, but we need to see the whole point of it all is Acts chapter 2, the second part. So what does Peter start to equip well, preach to the people, but equipped to those that are going to be sooner than they know, scattered abroad. He gives them the kernels, the heartbeat of the message that is going to have the power to bring salvation to the lost out in the world. And what are these key things? First off, revival, a life brought back. He talks about the resurrection of Messiah, the results and the need for repentance. Those are the things. So Peter basically is saying this, you're going to go out there. They're dead. They're, they're lost. They need reviving. You know, they need to be brought from their state of death to life. We always think in the Christian realm, revival is the Christians getting all revived. Okay, that's probably to some degree correct, but the truth of the matter is a real reviving is bringing back from the dead. And I'm taking... They're going to be going out to where there's a lot of dead people. Remember I told you, we're, we are walking among zombies. Bodies that are eternally soulless as far as salvation. And they need to be brought to life. All right? So then the resurrection. Well, how do we back up what needs to be done in the hearts of those that are lost? Show that somebody has come back from the dead and has walked on this earth, Yeshua, and is alive, he's seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, and because he rose from the dead and is alive, he is the one that has imparted unto us that those that are lost, that need reviving, we have the message from him to say, here is life. And that's what the Apostle Paul was all about doing. I mean, he went everywhere bringing... And if you read Acts and you read the writings... The key thing is they focus in on the resurrection of Yeshua. Because without that, we have nothing. We're empowered to go out to give the life-giving message of the gospel to the lost all around us, which we're pitifully not doing right now, like we should, probably most of us. But we have that message because we're going to say, look, there's somebody that came back from the dead. And that guy that died and came back to life, he really is who and what he said he was. And God put a stamp of approval upon it, the Heavenly Father, on his son, by bringing him back to life. And he's the guy that made all Acts chapter 2 happen anyway, and we're going out with the life-saving message of Yeshua. And that guy who came back to life is the one who has commissioned us and given us the power to do it. Does this make sense? I know I'm not, I was going to look at all verses, I'm not going to do it, because we've already looked at them. So, the revival, well, just 17, verse 17 and verse 18, just so you can see where I'm coming from. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith, God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons, and then it goes on. This is coming back to life, and more so probably with verse 21. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the point of all this. Not so that we can develop our own heavenly prayer language and go into our closet and speak in tongues or go to congregation or church and just have this wonderful ecstatic experience and focus all on me and all on myself and all on us. That's not the stinking point. It's about 
Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, I hit resurrection. Resurrection, um, verse 24. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible, they should be holden by it. And then verses 31 through 33, again talking about David and, and, and the resurrection. Uh, the results. I love the results. Now, if you're going to preach with power, and, and Luke, uh, I, I probably, nobody else knows this. I took a lot of my messages off the website because I just didn't, I felt like a raven maniac in most of them. Um, I left the last couple. But part of the reason I did that, Luke, and I didn't tell you this the other day was, reading um, John Newton, guy who wrote Amazing Grace. In this book about him, Newton was talking about the fact that you can have somebody, and I felt like this is me, very vivacious, who weren't his words, very vivacious and energetic and loud and dynamic and blah, and not have the Spirit of God on him and accomplish nothing in the hearts of people. Or you can have somebody like Jonathan Edwards Monotone, read a sermon, power of God's on his life, and revival happens in New England. So, um, results. So I took a lot of the messages off just because, I don't know. But it was because of what Newton said, because if, if I examine myself probably too much, I'm just this energetic guy hoping that life will bring life. So if I am lively, which is just my natural nature anyway, to preach, that it will excite and change people. Well, it's not working. Right? By and large, not that I want it looking for that. But it's caused me to examine whether or not, and depending upon theatrics, which I don't think that I was, versus focusing more on coming to this pulpit... being somewhat assured that I haven't quenched the Holy Spirit so much that even though I'm preaching truth and God can use it, it's still dead, even though I'm very vivacious. I, I need, I want us, Luke, to have the power of God infusing our preaching. And so I don't know what tone Peter preached in. If it's me, it's like, he's flailing. Because he, Peter, it's very impetuous. He puts, you know, as everybody says, his foot in his mouth. And, you know, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to think there's some dynamics to it. But when he gets through, I love what happens. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said, Peter, what are we supposed to do? See, I want that to happen again. The truth is, we need preachers in the Messianic movement, and we need people sitting in our congregations in the Messianic that know something about the power of God on their lives. And I think we're just, we're shooting blanks. That's maybe unfair to say in preaching, and we're shooting blanks as God's people. Where's the power that brings conviction because of what God has done in our hearts on a day-by-day -day basis of getting fresh oil? Jack Hiles preached a message, whether you agree with Jack Hiles or not, fresh oil. You know, we need fresh oil. I don't know. My head 
head's always going a million miles an hour, so I never know if I'm coherent. But what we're doing is just not getting the job done in Christianity or in the Messianic movement. We have, in my estimation, I know many people take issue with this, we do, but in my estimation, nowhere do we have the George Mueller's or the Charles Spurgeon's or the George Whitfield's or the Hudson Taylor's the missionaries or the John Patton's missionaries that are leading the field, blazing forward, and in their wake, because the Spirit of God was working in and through them, is a, is, is a multitude, of, an army empowered by Yeshua. And this is my own thing. I'm going to tell you what I think part of the problem is. And I'm off on the sidetrack here. I think we're confused about what the Word of God is. All those people that I mentioned all used the King James Version and they used the King James, the manuscripts that were for, from that. Ever since 1881 with the Westcott and Hort, 1880-something, with Westcott and Hort and all the emphasis on the new, and I, and I want us to do this as a YouTube video, and all this emphasis on all these newer or older, but older and better manuscripts, every translation since the King James has been based off these other manuscripts. And I can tell you, when I was in school, and they rolled out, because I think it was new at the time, the New American Standard, the best, the closest to the original manuscripts. We are all like, well, yeah, let's go get it. No doctrines have changed, which is a lie. Nothing has changed. It's just it's easy to read. And, blah, blah, blah. and I had a roommate that came halfway through the year and ended up getting saved, had long hair, pretty much my same story hippie guy, and, he, and, and during evangelization, halfway through when the new students came, everybody, you know, walked the aisle, and he got saved, evidently. Hell, and for some reason, he just latched onto me, and I enjoyed him. I was sort of, in a way, a spiritual, I didn't know this at the time, a spiritual mentor to him, for whatever reason. So now we all have these new Bibles. Why am I going on this power? So now we have all these new, this new Bible come out. And I come up the stairs one day in the dorm, and there he is on the platform up at the top of third level where you could sit. And he has two Bibles. He has his, his King James, and he has his New American Standard. And he's flipping back and forth at different passages. And I come up, and I look at him. He looks at me in this look of confusion and fear and anxiety. He said... They said there's no difference, but look, there's all these differences. There's all these differences. Now, what I couldn't tell him was, I know, I'm feeling the same way you are. All of a sudden, we were told we had the Word of God, and, and this, whatever it was, we were holding is, is this over here now is the Word of God, and this no longer is quite the Word of God, and this is the better Word of God. But all these generations and all these people, were, this was their Word of God, and now we have this. What do we do? And it plunged a whole generation, and it's still happening in the chaos and confusion. It goes, what is the Word of God? Now, the average piece person maybe doesn't know that or care about that. And so I think we, we are powerless because, once again, through two men and even good people to this day, are following the same old line that was in the garden. Yea, hath God said. And so now you go to congregation... You know, maybe nobody cares about this but me. 
But I have to think the thinking person that sits out there, and now everybody, there's six different translations out there, and they're all different. Does that, does that not make anybody confused? Honestly, tell me. Does, does, does that not confuse anybody? You know, and I, I experienced, because I got saved next out of nothing, I ended up getting a new Schofield study Bible, which is King James-ish, although I didn't know quite how much I had changed it. But we all believed we had a word of God. Now all of a sudden, whoa, wait a minute. All those verses that were in this one are gone. And little by little, it eroded, I think, in a whole generation. Do we have the word of God or not? And then on top of that, these new... I wasn't even going to speak on this. I don't know where it's coming from. But now all of a sudden you have all these new translations. And you think, okay, good. Now it's overdone. Nope. How many editions have they been through? And they're always changing. They're always changing. I think this is a bigger issue than anybody really wants to touch because everybody's stuck to this tar baby of translations. The better, the best, the newest. Even the Messianic movement! Why? Almighty God. And I'm, 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 I'm mad. Because if we're going to prick people, now they were pricked in their heart. Uh, I'm way off base here. Anyway, those are the results. We have to start seeing some results through our preaching. That's why I'm thankful that we're on the same page, Luke and I, as far as translation. We're, we're not going to say, well, the best manuscript or this translation says this or this says this. To me, it just undermines the whole thing. This has been around over 400 years. I have to believe that God knew what he was doing because the English language should be at the pinnacle of the time in which the greatest missionary worldwide movement ever happened and will ever happen took place and they went around the world with this pitiful book this inferior book and all those martyrs that gave their life for Yeshua over the years that used the manuscripts that this book is upon not the newer ones on they died for a faulty book if that's my God I don't want him I don't believe that's God because if you believe we have newer and better manuscripts, what's to say there's not going to be even newer and better? And newer and better. And this is, this is such a black hole. All right, now, why am I saying this? Because this the time this has happened, we're a powerless church. We're a powerless generation. We're not seeing what had happened prior to this happen. And I think it's a bigger issue than we're willing to even address all right, so uh, you know, I, I'm so far off base here right now. So, but then you get to 38. Um, Peter said unto them, Repent! 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 Repent of what? Does anybody have any sin anymore? <laughs> is anything sin anymore? Nothing is sin anymore! Everything's okay. Even in, in the Christian realm, it's all unto Yeshua, now Messianics. Now, Christianity, unto Jesus, Messianics. Now we're into, unto Meshua. Uh, Yeshua. <laughs> That's a new word, Meshua. Messiah, Yeshua. All right, repentance. Um, and then after this comes persecution. Wow, I am way over place. I didn't mean for this to happen. I'm sorry. This is just, see, I have nixed about a half a dozen sermons before this one. And I think what happens is, because I've had all these thoughts going through me, it just comes and I'm bombarded. And yes, Caitlin and others, I'm all over the place, hard to follow. I get it. I'm as bad as the guy that I always say in the Messianic movement, I think, all over the place and you can't follow. <laughs> but 
this is Shavuot. This is Shavuot. A dynamic thing that God did at this point in time, which we have been bequeathed. It has, this legacy has been bequeathed upon us. And I think we're dropping the ball because where's the power? Where's the revival? Where's the preaching on the resurrection of Messiah? Where's the results where people are being pricked in the heart, being brought to repentance? Where is it? Come on, am I off? Talk to me. Somebody nod or smile or let me know you're awake. Golly! And until I and until Luke, we get our act together, everything's going to be status quo. It just is. I want us to be different. That's the message of Shavuot, Pentecost. The power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, doesn't mean it's the first time we're getting it, but to be in such a state with God that His power resides in us. So in the diaspora, we can, on a moment's notice, give out the message with power, whether we know it or not, but we can rest assured because of where our walk is, that God will use us and is using it. The truth of the matter is he seems to use people. It, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save people is what Paul says. So I guess that's it. Oh, I feel like such a failure every time I preach. It's like, wow. But that's it for me. That's a Shavuot message. Warren, how do you match up to what is going on in this chapter? How, Warren, how do you match up to Peter? Was Peter perfect? No. Was Peter perfect before this? No. Was Peter perfect afterwards? No. Somehow, I don't know how that works. But you know what? At that moment in time when God needed to do something, there was a man that God could use. And I want to be that man. I want us to be that people. And it's not going to come if we're not drinking from the well. It's just not going to happen. This book is where the power comes from. You can sit around and wait for the Holy Spirit to do something in you. But my understanding is the Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the truth of this book. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest... Uh, I just was going over these verses anyway. Anyway, so that we will prosper, and that God will use it. Ah, I, I hate that. I can never do it. Joshua 1, 8, 9. Let's turn to it. I was just working on these verses this week, and we'll close with this. Joshua chapter 1. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be of good courage, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. The Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. How does that happen? The book of the law. Meditating upon it. I haven't gotten there yet. Let's go back to it. Joshua 1. And we'll close with this. Joshua 1, 8 9. This book of the Torah 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For Jehovah thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Isn't that great stuff? Where does it come from? Meditating in the book of the law day and night. Oh, oh, oh. I read that verse and say, oh, that explains a whole lot, Warren. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Oh, I'd much rather have been listening to Luke than me. Please, somehow, I just have to trust that somehow, through the confusion of my head, that you will make sense of this, and something of this will be beneficial to folks. I, I do, I, I love Acts chapter 2 because of the second half. And to see that as our marching orders for today in the midst of this diaspora that will have your power and that we can just be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit causing reviving and repentance and focusing upon the fact that we are raised up because we serve a risen Savior. Father, it just somehow falls on us. And, and if nothing else, Lord, just continue to work in me. Get me back. I need, in this sense, a reviving in my own heart and soul. I've been so beat up. I've been so off the beaten track. I mean, I've been so dismantled by my own self, and Satan used me, especially in relation to what is the word of God. I've been so anemic. But you brought me back, I believe, to where I think I'm going to stand with the people like Mueller and Spurgeon and Moody and Hudson Taylor, John Newton, gosh, you know. And if I trace it back, they seem to be all drinking from the same source that not many are drinking from today. And I believe it's important that we go to a pure source because it has power. So anyway, I ask these things and thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen.